0: There are a number of th- different things that influence how we pray. Now, one of those things is the relationship that we have with authority figures in our life and, and significantly our relationship with our own father. The movie Fences uh, depicts, uh, among many things, at, at one point, the very intimate portrait of a, of a man's relationship with his son. Uh, Denzel Washington plays the, uh, the role of Troy Maxson, a 53-year-old sanitation department employee. And at one point, there's this conversation with his son, Corey, that kind of gives you an insight and a window into their relationship together. It starts with Corey asking, Dad, how come you ain't ever liked me? And his father responds, liked you? Who say I got to like you? Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Corey says, yeah. As long as uh, you live in my house, you put a sir at the end of that uh, when I t- talk to you. And he says, yes, sir. You eat every day? Yes, sir. You got, a, you got a roof over your head? Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back? Yes, sir. Why do you think that is? because of you cuz you like me like you it's my job it's my responsibility you understand that not cuz i like you cuz it's my duty to take care of you let's get this straight right here before we go along any further i ain't got to like you it's a very intimate <laughs> picture of their relationship and it's disturbing And yet, as I hear that conversation between a father and his son, part of me asks, how's Corey going to grow up to pray to his father in heaven? What kind of prayers is he going to pray? My guess is that he will pray timid, reluctant prayers. My my, my, My guess is that he will be reluctant to pray for anything at all. Uh, fearful to go into the presence of God for fear of how he will be received, maybe if he's summoned, maybe if he's called in, but otherwise maybe best just not to disturb him obviously our our father are just that's just one of the relationships that influences how we think about god, but it's it's a big one. maybe for you it was a uh, uh, your your mother that had had that kind of influence in your life. Maybe it was an uncle, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a, uh, someone someone that you looked up to in your in your life as a significant figure, and how you related to them. Maybe you didn't think about it or were conscious about it, but it kind of got translated into how you relate to God. We've been a, in a, a series on prayer this month, and and we've been trying to evaluate uh, how we pray. And we've been trying to just pray. We've been calling you to prayer. Um, we have been uh, doing different things to, to grow in prayer. And last week when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, we looked at what it, what it is that God invites us to pray about. We looked at the content of prayer and, and, and what it is that we ought to be um, doing when we, when we pray today's passage looks at the how of prayer if last week was a content this is more the attitude or the spirit of prayer and so as we look to today's passage I want to encourage you to look at the how of you how of your prayers the attitude of your prayers and and I encourage you to give some thought to the relationship that you had with your father or maybe some significant authority figures in your life and and ask whether that has shaped how you relate to God more than the scriptures have shaped the attitude that God invites us to have as we come before him. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me. Um, We're looking today in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, uh, verses 5 to 13. In your pew Bibles, it's on page 816. And uh, I'm going to be reading um, from verse uh, 5 all the way down to 13. Uh, last week we were in Matthew's gospel and we looked at the Lord's prayer. This, this week we're in Luke's gospel, but it's directly following Luke's version of the Lord's prayer. And, and so we're, we're, we've got that in our mind as the what, and we're looking to this passage today to understand the how. Verse 5. And he said to them, He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the Word of God. Now, the scandal of this passage is that God invites us to pray shamelessly. Uh, He is a God who is not particularly encouraged by timid, half-hearted, kind of polite, safe prayers No, he invites us into his presence and asks us to pray prayers that are worthy of his generosity and of the freeness of the relationship that he has invited us into. God invites us to pray shamelessly. Now, to get his message across, Jesus tells a a story. It's the story of a man who is desperate for help. Uh, He's desperate because a, a, a friend of his has arrived from a long journey and he has nothing to put before him. And uh, with with no food, he goes to his neighbor. In verse 5, it says he goes to the neighbor at midnight. And I know that some of you are thinking, well, midnight, that's just kind of about the time when I'm hitting my stride. That's that's kind of a, a, a high point of your day. But if we were to roll back 2,000 years ago where, where we don't have electricity, midnight is really the middle of your night. You would be fast asleep and... Uh, you would have been greatly disturbed to have someone come knocking at your door at that, that time of night. Now, just knocking at the door would take some courage for this person, but then in verse seven, the neighbor responds, don't bother me. A- and, and you're thinking, I knew this was not gonna go well. I knew I shouldn't have knocked at the door. And, and now you hear the response, don't bother me. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I, I wanna just run away and hide. The doors of homes in the Middle East in this period of time were open doors. Uh, in the daytime, uh, fr- neighbors would come and go freely, and, and, and community really was community, as people would connect with each other at a, at a deep level like that. But when night fell, the door closed, the bolt, bolt was pulled across, and the expectation was you weren't going to open up that door until the morning came. Not only is the door bolted shut, but his children are fast asleep with him on the floor. And so the, 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 the idea is that with everyone asleep, probably on one large mat, that if he has to not only hear his neighbor knocking, but now has to pull back that bolt, it is going to be like fingernails on a chalkboard. Everybody's going to be up. The children are, awo- are awoken and everybody's going to be miserable. It's midnight and nobody's getting back to sleep, and it, it's just trying to create this this picture of the the what would be what what courage that you would have to have the boldness and even the brashness to 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 do such a thing at that time of night. It's important that we. Don't get the wrong impression about this. Or we don't learn the wrong thing from this passage though. The point isn't that God's like a neighbor with sleeping babies and he kind of gets annoyed if you come to him at the wrong time of the day. That's not the message that we're, talking, that, that we're to take away from this. Jesus isn't comparing God to the neighbor. He's comparing us to the person in need. And the message is, make your prayers bold. Go with courage. Uh, go with confidence. We are to pray shamelessly. God doesn't want our prayers to be timid or apologetic, but we are to barge into God's presence with an expectation and with a sense of confidence because of the relationship that has been opened up to us through our faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.16 puts it like this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help In time of need, that word confidence usually gets translated as boldness. And it's speaking of that sense of freeness in the relationship that we're invited to have with a God who is generous and free. There's no holding back. That's because the alternative to shameless prayer is complacency. I think we often miss this, this part of the story because. If the man doesn't wake up his neighbor, if he doesn't go there at midnight, if he doesn't persist to to get the guy up out of bed, whether it wakes his children or not, the alternative is that this traveler, this friend of his who has come from afar, will go hungry. There are no 24-7 convenience stores. The, The supermarkets aren't open. If he does not get help from his friend, Uh, from his neighbor, his friend will go hungry. Now, if that was to happen in our day, if that was to happen here in Canada, uh, first of all, most of you would have uh, full pantries and refrigerators, and we would have something that we could put out. Even if we didn't, though, if we just said, you know what, I know you're tired and hungry, I'll get there in the morning, but please, you know, uh, nothing could be done. And it wouldn't be that big of a deal But if we were to back up, now we are in a uh, a Middle Eastern context 2,000 years ago where hospitality, hospitality in the Middle East even today is famous. And so to have this traveler come, show up tired, show up hungry, and him to be given absolutely nothing to eat would not only make him hungry, it would cause incredible offense it would bring shame not only on his friend but it would be, bring shame on the whole community and so to not knock on this neighbor's door is to send the message to this traveler and to everyone who hears of him that the people in that neighborhood they're so selfish and self-absorbed they'd rather get a they'd rather get a good night's sleep than do what it do what it takes to give proper hospitality to someone to give proper care to someone who had come and, and visited from a, a far distance. And so the takeaway for us is that we will either pray shamelessly or we will give in to complacency. Not to ask God boldly is to show that we care too little for his reputation, for his honor, and for the task that he's called us to. That's why shameless prayer glorifies God. It shows that you care as much about his glory as he does. Verse 8 says, because of his impudence, because of his shamelessness, because he was so bold as to ask, for that reason he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Tony Evans tells the story of a large evangelistic event that was being held at the University of uh, South Carolina. There had a large out, out, uh, uh, open-air football stadium. It was scheduled for 7 p.m., and uh, the forecast for that day was that that was right around the time when a huge storm was going to hit the area. Uh, people were starting to arrive, hundreds were pouring in, and with this forecast and all that was at stake in planning uh, planning event of, of this size, uh, the leaders of this event began to organize and gather to pray. As they did, Tony said, people prayed, but they prayed very safe prayers. They prayed very polite prayers. They just, they they seemed respectful, but they just didn't seem very confident. That was, uh, until of course, a woman by the name of Linda stood up and she began to pray. She prayed like this. Lord, Thousands have gathered to hear the good news about your son, and it would be a shame on your name for us to have all these non-Christians go home without the gospel when you control the weather and you do nothing to stop it. In the name of Jesus Christ, address this storm, she prayed. Well, the prayer meeting ended and everyone began to take their places. People could see the storm clouds coming in and the umbrellas started to go up. And apparently, the man that was seated beside Linda um, offered her his, his umbrella to uh, cover her from the, uh, from, from the rains as they were about to come. Uh, she not so politely declined. Uh, she wasn't going to take the umbrella. It, as Tony tells, tells the story, as the storm rolled in and the rain started, he said, you could actually see as the storm was approaching, it began to split as it came around the stadium. And it, 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 it came in, passed through, and they were able to hold this event. Everybody was dry, and everybody went home having heard not only of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but a group of leaders that that night learned that God loves bold, shameless prayers, that God loves prayers that are worthy of his generosity and his goodness and his power. He's looking for people who care as much about his glory as he does. So God invites us to pray shamelessly. He also invites us to pray persistently. He wants prayer to become a regular disp- expression of our dependence on him. And, and he does that because often as we pray over time, he begins to change us. He changes what we pray about. He changes how we pray. He often gives us clarity, and he gives us resolve. God invites us to pray persistently. And I think we can miss sometimes how profound the commands or the invitations of verse 9 are. It says, Ask, seek, knock. I think these are, in one sense, amazing statements. Uh, I don't know if, if uh, we, we were to take a poll here, had a quick show of hands, anybody who has, has toddlers, but if, if you were to think through, uh, when was the last time that you said to your t- to your, sat your toddler down and said, could you ask me more questions, please? Like, I really like that. I, I would really like you to, to, to do more of that. Or, or how many of you have sat down with your teenager and said, you know what, I, I really feel like you've been holding back on us. Could you please ask for more stuff? Like, you've been too selfless, too, too, uh, too, too much caring about others. I, I want you to, to ask for more stuff. Ask for bigger things. You've, you've really been, been too self restrained or how many of you have said, it doesn't matter what, what age the child have said to your child, you know when you know when I'm in my room and the door is closed because I'm like fast asleep or I'm working or something like that? You know what I'd really like? If you could just knock really, really hard and just keep knocking until I open the door. I I would love for you to do that. <laughs> like, I am quite sure if I've ever said anything near any of those statements to any of my children. I was saying it sarcastically. Like I just to, to think that there's that kind of invitation just seems seems unreal. And yet those are exactly the commands that we are given in verse 9. This is exactly how God is inviting us to approach him. And the idea is that he has a uh, a, a patience and a capacity and a love and a generosity that goes so far over the top, Any, even the best of parents. Maybe you said, Paul, my my dad or my mom, they're like really generous. I don't care how generous they are. They're not this generous. They're not this inviting. They're not this giving. And the message is that we are to rethink our, as good as our uh, human fathers and mothers have been in giving us a picture of selflessness and generosity, we are to understand that the God of the scriptures is so far above that it would defy our, our paradigms, our models of, of, of just how you would relate to uh, our Father in heaven. It's a picture of his generosity. And so these commands are amazing in themselves. But the promises are even greater. He's promising that people who ask, receive. People who seek, find. People who knock, the door is actually opened. The the message is not, just keep knocking and and maybe he'll say, you know, go away, don't bother me this time. The, The door is opened. It's a huge encouragement that God answers persistent prayer. Careful, though, that you don't misunderstand what he's saying and what he's not saying. Though, He doesn't say, every time you ask, you'll get everything you want. Doesn't say that, does it? The idea is that he's calling us to a lifestyle of asking and seeking and knocking, and he's saying that as we enter into that kind of persistent prayer, it's with a confidence that there's a reward, that he will answer, that he will respond, even if it's not necessarily on the first try or in exactly the form that we were expecting. I I don't know if you've thought about that. I don't know if you've thought why that is, like why? Why does, why does God encourage us to persist in prayer? Why doesn't God just say, you know, just kind of, just, you just say it and I'll just do it. Like, why, why is there this process of prayer? Why can't it just be like an immediate instantaneous thing? Jesus taught in Luke 18.1 that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. I think there's a reason why God wants us to keep at it. I think there's probably a number of reasons, but at least one of those reasons is probably the same reason that you don't move to Cape Canaveral the first time your toddler tells you they want to be an astronaut. Because you, you hear the word, you, you hear it's an expression of their desire. There's a, there's a need there. There's a, a desire has been expressed, but often it hasn't been fully thought through. It often it hasn't brought come with a a, a clarity and an, and an understanding and, and 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 many of our prayers start off that way they start off flippantly we start asking God for things like the first thing that comes to our mind we want a, a new iPhone we want uh, firmer abs we want to, whatever it is we, we want different things and we just blurt out what comes to mind and as we pray, though, God changes us. God changes what we pray about, changes how we pray. As we take time in the presence of a holy God and think about our needs, our understanding of those needs and our perspective on those needs begins to change. We we begin to think God's thoughts about those needs. Our understanding matures. we start seeing ourselves differently as well. Prayer will, begins to humble us and, and help us to see often we don't have the whole picture. Like the toddler who says, I, I want to be an astronaut. They often haven't thought through all that that entails. And often along the, along the road to that path, they get diverted one way or the other. As we begin to see how our world and our needs and God's will intersect, though, we develop confidence and resolve. There is a growing sense as we persist in prayer. No, I, I realize now it wasn't that. It wasn't that. But I'm beginning to see more and more clearly, this is what God is doing here. This is what God wants. And I want what God wants as much as he does. I, I'm, I'm beginning to see how uh, how God is at work in this situation. And I have begun to adjust my my understanding of that and my desire for it to try to line up with his. And as we do, we have confidence and resolve. We have boldness. We have a a sense of expectancy of all that God will do. We begin to pray, I believe, the way Linda did before that evangelistic event. We begin to knock on that door asking for bread, knowing that if God doesn't provide that bread. It's his reputation on the line. It's his glory that's at stake. And we express to God, we want that for him. We want that for this world. And we know that insulting our guest would dishonor him. In Genesis 29, 13, God promises, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart when there's a pursuit of him and a confidence in him. And so what I encourage you to do is to think through what are the needs in my life where God not delivering would actually infringe on his honor. It it would put his reputation at stake. Because it's as we begin to see our needs in our lives through those lenses that we begin to enter into God's plan for us. Let's continue in prayer until we arrive at that place. And let's do so with the knowledge that God blesses the time that we take in his presence. So we've said that God invites us to pray shamelessly, that God invites us to to pray persistently, but he also invites us to pray confidently. There's no loss in prayer, there's only gain. There, even when the, the answer is no or not now or whatever it is, the, those prayers are not lost. There is something that takes place in our lives. There is blessing as we call upon His name, and so God invites us to pray confidently. In verse eleven, Jesus leaves the story of the host and his neighbor behind, and He He asks, uh, brings up a. Uh, a rhetorical question about a father and his son. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? The point is, even mediocre, haven't got it all kind of figured out fathers, even they know, you don't try to kill your child with a gift. Even they know that if they ask for something, you're not going to turn around and try to hurt them with with something in response. Most children can ask their parents for things, knowing, hey, my parents give good gifts. They're not perfect. Maybe maybe I asked for asked for 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 one thing and I didn't get quite what I wanted. Um, maybe I asked for for a fish and and uh, and maybe I got a fish or maybe maybe my parents said I've got some allergy to fish and so they gave me chicken instead and I'm like well I kind of wanted fish I'm a little disappointed but, but in retrospect I kind of get it they said that the fish would actually do me harm and so I, I got the chicken but I recognize my parents give me good gifts and the message of this passage is God gives good gifts that the time we spend in his presence has a return that When we call upon his name, he responds. Tim Keller has an interesting way of describing this aspect of prayer. He says, Your father always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Ever thought about that? There's so much that we don't understand, right? If we're praying to a God who created everything out of nothing, we have to recognize that we are, are are these tiny specks with this tiny understanding and a tiny sliver of the knowledge that he has. And it's with a recognition that there is so much that I don't understand. We don't know what we need. We don't know what's best. We don't know what we can handle. We don't know what would most help and yet God asks us to pray anyway. He asks us to pray anyway and he promises that he's a God who gives good gifts to his children. He's generous. He's rich and he's eager to share. And so he answers our prayers according to his knowledge, not ours. And while there's disappointment in that often for us, thank God that he answers our prayers according to his knowledge, not ours. We wish we could figure it out, but, but thank God that he doesn't just give us what we want because if he just gave us what, he, what we wanted every time and, and the first time we asked, we would, we would end up destroying each other. We'd end up destroying ourselves. And so as we come before him in prayer, there is a humility to recognize who he is, to recognize what he knows, to recognize our own lack of understanding. But unless any of that would have discouraged us from asking in the first place, Jesus said, you come, you come because he gives good gifts and he loves to answer. In the punchline to this great passage on prayer, we learn that God's greatest gift is more of himself. In verse 13, Jesus says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a surprise. I call it a punchline because this passage, at, at this point in the story, the people that we're hearing would be like, Whoa, where did that come from? I thought we were talking about bread. I, I thought this was a message about fish. And then you get to the end and he's talking about the Holy Spirit and they're like, well, is that what we've been talking about? Is, is that where this has all been heading? If you put yourself in the, in the shoes of these disciples, they have only known the Old Testament and the only thing that they've learned about the Holy Spirit is when there is something, a great job, And there's somebody who is set apart to do that great job. Someone like Moses. Someone like King David. God gives them a portion of his spirit. And there are profound changes. There is power. There is wisdom. There is his strength. God is at work in that individual, and he brings about his victory. And so the disciples, having grown up hearing those stories and knowing, hey, the Holy Spirit, he, he only... He only comes into the lives of like kings and prophets and really important people. They're thinking, well, we would never think of anything like that for ourselves. We, we wouldn't actually think that God would come into our lives like that. But here we find ourselves in the context of this talk of bold, shameless, confident, expectant prayers to a generous God. And he says, God is pleased to give the gift of his spirit. He is pleased pleased to give the gift of himself, more of himself in our lives. What took place in Pentecost is that God did that very thing. He poured out more of himself on his people, poured out the Holy Spirit. Not only did, as they prayed to God, were they, uh, did they receive the Holy Spirit, but they continued to f- be filled with more of his Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, for instance, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were facing opposition as a young, early church with all kinds of people against them, and they felt overwhelmed by the opposition. They felt overwhelmed by their circumstances. But they prayed shameless prayers, Confident, expectant prayers to a good and generous God. And he answers those prayers extravagantly. God gives them the gift of himself. He comes into their lives in power, in strength, in courage, in majesty. And the invitation for us is that we, we pray for many things. We pray for many needs. But the greatest gift that God can give us is more of himself. There's many ways that you can ask for more of God. Uh, one of the ways is just praying for uh, the gift of more of the Holy Spirit by praying through Galatians 5:22 and 23, the fruit, of the, the fruit of the Spirit. You just go through that list where it talks about, hey, this is what God's Spirit does when he comes into a person's life. You say, I want, I want more of that. I, I, I want that. Uh, you go through the list. I, I, I pray for more love, for more joy, for more peace, more patience, more kindness, more faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe you go through that list and you say, I need this one in particular. Yeah, I, I, I want to make this a focus of prayer. I want more of God in my life, but particularly more, more patience or self-control, or, or, or whatever it might be that you most need from him. But as you do so, don't pray it as some abstract, moral character quality divorced from the God who brings it. We are asking for more of him in our lives. And, and, and as we get more of him in our lives, we express more of his character in, in our lives. Uh, in our lives as well we we ultimately need more of him and less of ourselves alexander mclaren wrote we may have as much of god as we will christ puts the key of the treasure chamber into our hand and bids us take all that we want and then he asks whose fault is it that christian people generally have such scanty portions of the free riches of god Billy Graham put it a little more simply than that. He said, heaven is full of answers to prayers for which no one ever bothered to ask. How much of God do you have in your life? How much, of, how much is really just kind of you and how much is God in your life? Are you shamelessly laying hold of his riches? Is there a persistence to your prayers? Is there a confidence you are praying to someone who just says, "Keep coming, keep asking, make your prayers bigger." And doing so with a knowledge that he is generous and good, even when we don't understand what he's doing, even when we don't get it because there's so little that we understand. I want to urge you to, to join our church this, this month in, a, in, in this church-wide call to prayer. There's certain things that you can learn by learning about prayer, and that's why we're teaching about what the Scriptures teach about prayer. But prayer is more like riding a bicycle. You learn it by doing it. You learn it by practicing what we hear and see in the pages of Scripture. So I want to encourage you to pray. I know some of you are using the prayer cards that we that we gave out, and there's there's more of them in the foyer if, for those of you who didn't get one last week. I know that some of you are using those prayer cards to to pray more intentionally, more specifically about uh, the the needs in our church and the needs in your own life. Other people signed up for our prayer guides. Have come to me just this past week and say, "I want to get those. I want to begin praying those. Uh, we want to sit down as a family and 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 just." take time once a week to pray through the prayer guide because we don't want to just be praying about me I want to be praying about we others have been showing up at our prayer meeting uh, this week I think for the first time we, we ran out of prayer guides at our prayer well you need to pray for your pastor that he has more faith that people will actually come like we, we need for me to for for me to have the confidence that that God's people can actually gather for prayer. I would encourage you to get in on that. Uh, 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 Some uh, people I've spoke you this week have have fasted, have done a biblical fast uh, for the first time in their life. First time that they've said, I am going to go without food for a certain portion of time to express my hunger to God, to make time to pray and to dedicate time because he's a good and a generous God. And I know that he answers prayer. I want to encourage you to get in on what God is doing in our midst as we call upon his name in prayer. And I want to encourage you to do so with expectancy. Knowing how rich God is. Knowing how he loves to bless his children. And knowing that after we have prayed and prayed, he he comes to us and says, ask me again. Ask me for more. And I'd love to, by the way, give you more of myself. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want what those disciples got when they sought you in prayer. When the ground shook and you filled them with boldness and power. Would you give us a gift of more of you? More of your spirit in our lives. Less of us. Would you give us a kind of response to you and your word that you're worthy of? Tear down the obstacles that keep us from trusting you and following you. Tear down the obstacles that keep our church from greater effectiveness. And lead us in prayer. Make us a praying church. Make us a praying people. Make me a praying pastor. Help us to ask and seek and knock and Open the door when we come. For we ask you in Jesus' name,